Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am joined by a wonderful leader, His name is Josh Partridge, and he is the newly appointed head of EMEA at Yahoo, having previously been the MD of the UK for Verizon Media, which latterly changed its name to Yahoo. Now, Josh comes to the organisation from a wealth of experience, both internationally and working with some of the really well-known household name brands that include the likes of Apple and also Shazam. Josh has some fantastic commercial experience and actually comes from Brisbane. And he's going to talk to us a little bit today about his journey within the world of digital tech, his passion for inclusion, and also how he manages to to balance work, life, and the future of this modern workplace that we're now starting to really see come out through the roots and branches of our organizations. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks, Layla. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's lovely to have you here because I know the last time I saw you was at our virtual summit and there was some really positive feedback from everyone, not only within your organisation, which we're proud to have as one of our partners, but also from the team at Dial saying it was so nice to hear a leader, especially a male leader, talk so candidly around parenthood and caring responsibilities. But before we get into all of that, I wonder, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to be where you are today? Because of course, you're not originally from London. You've been all around the world world how did you make it to here personally and professionally yeah thanks Leila. it's it, it's a bit of a long journey really it, it started back in uh, 2008 when i sort of finished my university and postgraduate studies in, in brisbane uh, as you rightly said and like many australians at that time you know coming to europe and spending a couple of years traveling and you know exploring the the, the, the europe and the, all these countries that i'd sort of only ever watched you know on the internet or on tv so I came across um, and, you know, started to, to, to do a few jobs that were pretty interesting. And then on the weekend, you know, go and visit an, another country. And, and certainly that was the plan for, for, for a couple of years. I, I suppose the, uh, what changed was I met my wife here, who's, who's from Belgium. She was an intern at Disney when I was a, a, a contractor there. Funnily enough, we now live about 200 metres from there. So real, real full circle, but started to think about being here a little bit longer than just those two years and, you know, had the opportunity to join Yahoo actually in, in, in 2008 and really that online journey and the, and the start of my career in this industry really started. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to be given lots of different opportunities off the back of that. And, you know, every year that I'm still here is another year that I haven't, I haven't gone back to Australia and now it's added up to to quite a few years. And within that, I've had the opportunity to live in Switzerland for three years as well. So I've sort of done London in, in two different stints. But really, I've been incredibly fortunate to work for some, some great organisations, as you say. And, and importantly, I, you know, I've been given a, a tremendous opportunity to travel and, and explore the world much more than just sort of doing a weekend trip across to Europe. So as you say, I've, I've worked across the EMEA region, Latin America, Canada, you know, and it's, it's been a yeah, unbelievable experience for me, not only sort of from a work perspective, but, but personally as well. And I've been really fortunate to make some great friends around the world. And that's been, a, 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 you know, a, a joy for me. 
Wow, that is some whistle-stop tour, Josh, from Brisbane through to Canada, the Americas, here in Europe. And it sounds pretty serendipitous, the meeting of your wife then, having having the children, but ultimately being a global citizen. And my husband is much the same. He said, you know, you know, being from America and he's gone over to China, now he's here in the UK. Actually, kind of that richness of experience culturally that it gives you as a leader is really something that, that you can't get elsewhere unless you've lived in another country, something that I've, you know, regretted doing, actually. Talk to us a little bit about how that plays out in the current role and, and, and perhaps how it's almost informed your, your leadership style because there's many different nuances and idiosyncratic details, I'm sure, as you journey from yeah. different region to different region. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really good point. I think one of the things that's been really fortunate for me is if you look at probably people who've done my role before, that they've generally sort of either come from in the US or they worked on the UK market and really maybe only focused on on the big markets. Whereas I kind of almost did the reverse. I kind of my first markets where I was a commercial leader were were the Nordics and Eastern Eastern Europe or, or, or and South Africa. And so you know I've spent countless nights in Bucharest and 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 Athens and uh, and, and Stockholm. And so. I think having the sort of small European experience first, I think has sort of taught me probably I I had to do a lot more things myself, smaller teams. And I think that's really made me a stronger leader as as I've grown, taking on some of the bigger markets as well. So when I sit down and do business reviews with our UK team, you know, I, 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 you know, I I feel at home, but also when I sit down and talk to my um, emerging markets team, and what's going on in, in Greece and and Romania? You know, I I can sort of gain their respect as well because I've you know I've been to those far flung places you know that they they continue to go to. So it's certainly made my management style much more inclusive for sure. Also, too, I think the experiences you get, you know, I think particularly in our industry, we sort of you know we sort of put on a pedestal what, what we do in the US and what we do in the UK. Actually, some of the most creative, innovative things that, that I've ever done has been in a lot of those smaller markets. And so, I, look, I think my, I couldn't be here today without that, that ride and that experience. So, you know, I think it's very much as a leader, give me a much more fuller experience, but more, it certainly made me a lot more, I think, uh, relevant to how we need to focus on more than just big countries moving forward. Sounds like it's had an absolute profound impact on your career. And I guess it begs the question, given the fact that obviously you've got a lot of experience in tech and media, and you look at a remarkable brand like Yahoo, and you're reaching, you know, what is it, 900 million consumers through products, services, partnerships, and everything like that, is without understanding the context truly of all of these different countries and regions, how can we be a successful in operation as as a business, really, it's. Uh, I mean, it seems absolutely key. Yeah, look, I think probably one of the biggest myths, you know, through through a lot of a lot of the jobs that I've done, and companies that I've done, is that that each country is so different to the other. And there's and, and absolutely every country has their very unique culture, the language. But but in actual fact, we have a lot more in common than than we don't. And so you know, to be able to sort of, you know, run a consumer strategy or a, a commercial strategy across multi, multi-countries across Europe and, and Latin America is, is a lot easier than people like to think. And that's because as people, we, we are actually more similar than we're not. And so I think actually seeing that and, and understanding that, I think has been very, you know, from a career perspective, it's been, you know, a great experience to have because it, it sort of hasn't scared 
me in terms of when I left Yahoo the first time and went to Shazam, you know, I, I left a, a, a pretty big team, joined Shazam with one person and, you know, and, and looked at a map of, of Europe and said, okay, where, where are we going first? You know, and I think having that experience of visiting all these countries, it, it wasn't as overwhelming as it may appear because one, I had a lot of relationships that I could leverage. I, I was very, very clear how, how each country was different in terms of the challenges. But also, I think the, the knowledge knowing that actually it's not as scary. It's not as, you don't need to be as unique as possible in each individual market. You can actually come out with a strategy that will work across many. So look, it's, 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 I think the experience both personally and, and professionally has been, you know, I, I've been really fortunate. And sort of going back all those years to when I left, left Brisbane back in, I'm trying to remember when it was, in 2006, you know, I'd always had this, this feeling that I wanted to experience different cultures and live in different countries and, and, and make, make friends all around the world. And so, you know, I've been really fortunate through Yahoo the first time, Shazam particularly, and now again back here at Yahoo to, to continue to, to do those types of things. And it's a, it's a real perk of my job, really, to be able to, on a daily basis, touch so many different, different cultures. And, you know, just today, you know, my, my call just before now was with, with our new Italian leader and, and hearing what's going on and the challenges in his business. But we have seven offices across EMEA and we're, we, we operate in about 25 different countries today. So uh, in, in my responsibility. So it's uh, every day is a, a great way to, to and a great opportunity to connect with those different cultures. It's absolutely key having these understandings. And as you say, I think it's helped clearly define your leadership path and build that trust and respect, having actually been boots on the ground there yourself to really understand and look through the lens of another. And I wonder, when it comes to kind of translating that into the broader business, and obviously, you know, you'll have seen a lot that's happened over the last decade or so, I'm sure very different in different countries. What are some of the the differences that you've seen over, over your 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 career from a you know from a media perspective like technology perspective have there been profound differences in the industry and what are you seeing now as kind of the you know next steps forward into the the future of work so to speak look i think from just a simple consumer product point of view i think you know back in the early days you sort of you you built your english version or english language version which you took to the world you know and and then over time you then probably start to to regionalize it and localize it. And I think the sort of the, the internet 1.0 was very much driven by, by essentially English content. I think what, what, what Yahoo had to make huge switch sort of in that sort of mid 2000s with the emergence of apps and app stores was that you, you couldn't survive with an English only strategy. You know, it was, if you didn't solve for that, you, you wouldn't do well. And so you know, moving towards different websites to a, a one platform, like an app, you had to build for a global audience. And so that was a huge mindset shift, particularly out of countries that historically have, have that sort of led the world in terms of tech and innovation, have been English speaking. And so they had to change their mindset. And, and me giving that input as a, as a, as a leader from, from, you know, even though I'm English speaking, but I've predominantly focused on countries that are not you know, it's been, it has been very important for me to sort of, you know, push that, push that mindset. And, and certainly it has. I mean, pretty much every app now that launches you know, will always come with, you know, 20 languages plus. And so I think 
that the 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 evolution has happened, and I think that that's been smart and simple simple business, right? If your audience is if the whole world out there is is predominantly not English speaking, so if you're not thinking about that and building product for that audience, then you're probably not going to do very very well. So I've definitely seen that shift, which has been great. Again, as someone who's had to work outside to have that localized product. But look, in terms of how that, certainly from my perspective of how sort of the work's evolved as well, is, is funnily enough, during COVID, where, where we became very virtual, for me anyway, it wasn't a big change because I'd always sort of worked with countries around the world and that's how we primarily communicated. Now, of course, we we would meet face-to-face a couple of times a year and build that relationship. And and, and certainly I've missed that. And, and a lot of the sort of cultural things you don't pick up from a VC point of view. But but certainly, given I had that background, I actually found it quite easy to manage through 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 COVID. But but certainly for new managers um, and people new to the industry who are who are going to pick up multi-market responsibility, I certainly implore you all to to okay, you maybe not be flying as much as you used to, but don't don't forget that that spending time in a market, understanding a culture, understanding a work culture is really, really important to your ability to succeed in those countries. And how you communicate, how you negotiate is very different from country to country. And it's really important you understand that nuance. Also, you, you, you develop a thick skin because how you negotiate in one country may be almost offensive in another country. And that was a interesting dynamic that <laughs> that I had to sort of work along the way but um, you know but look I, I I think it's great that the the things are starting to open up it's it's great that we're able to start to I had I brought my leadership team to London last week and that's the first time in two years I also had my uh, the new global head uh, Elizabeth come across to London and that was the first time she's been over for a couple of years and just to have all those folks together sort of re- reminded me how important it is that face-to-face time and so of course, I think as we want to build a more sustainable future, I think we're going to be certainly traveling less, and that's a good thing. But, but nothing, nothing beats face-to-face to, to build that cultural, uh, cultural sensitivity, uh, to build those relationships, which are really important. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to dusting off the passport and, and getting back out. So uh, I've got my first continental trip next week off to Paris. I've been to the US already just before Christmas, but the but the, uh, the, the calendar's starting to fill up with, with travel again. Hear, hear to that. Well, we're off to New York and seeing some of your American counterparts, which we can't wait for. <laughs> I absolutely second the fact that you cannot be face-to-face. I am going to pick up very briefly, if you don't mind, on your very knowing chuckle that you had. You were chuckling when we were talking about, I think it was cultural nuances, and I thought there's got to be a story behind that because clearly you know what one person may mean with body language or what they say can mean something entirely different and yep. reminds me a little of something that I remember my my, my dad who I, I think I've told you before I was adopted by white British parents back when Hong Kong was a British colony and dad over Sunday dinners will still tell us stories of working for a Chinese entrepreneur called Mr. Mock where he would throw out you know well Australians actually he, he, in this particular example had presented business cards in the wrong way because they had to be 
positioned in a certain yeah. way and, and tells us all these cultural stories. And then I love it. I absolutely love it. And I imagine you have many of those uh, working with such international teams and you know, how important it is to understand these various cultural nuances, not to accidentally offend as my mum who, who, well, she worked for the NHS, actually, and thought she'd learned very, very good Cantonese, apparently, and said to one of her patients, sit down chicken soup. And actually, <laughs> she completely said it wrong. But uh, but but you chuckled then. I thought, oh, I've got to pick up on that. I wonder whether there's anything that you wouldn't mind sharing that is a good example of why we need to pay attention to cultures. Yeah, look, there's, there's quite a few. Some of them probably I, could, I can't tell <laughs> on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but look, it's, I think, you know, negotiations and what a contract means does vary from country to country. And, you know, if you say look at the US or the UK, you know, the contract signed, it's, you know, it's everything there is what is how you execute your relationship. In many cultures, they view the contract as the starting point rather than the end point. And so, you know, once you sign a deal and, and you start working, you know, folks at, at Central HQ are sort of going, well, hang on, that's not in the contract. And you've got to try and understand or explain to them that, again, in, in some countries, the contract is the starting point. And that, that can be a really tricky thing. And, you know, I've probably spent way too many lives on, uh, way too many hours of my life on calls trying to explain that. But look, I think, you know, how you negotiate, you know, how, you know, how, how forceful and or you may you feel it's slightly aggressive, but that's not a negative thing how they do it. And so I think the, the lesson for me is really making sure you listen when you first enter the market, making sure you have people that you trust on the ground who can at least guide you to th this is normal, this is, this is how you need to react, this is sort of normal operations. I think building those networks is really important because sometimes you can feel like you're, you're being taken advantage slightly or, you know, or, or you're not quite getting the context and so again that comes with experience and, and and a network which is really important and you know certainly for me a big part of of building you know my experience across so many countries is is building the strong relationships that that even to this day i still rely on when i need to sense check something or i hear something or a certain ask has been made of me just to you know to have that network that i can sort of touch on and say hey you know, what are your thoughts, given their sort of real experts in their markets? And so, again, I think a, a bigger piece of advice I would give to the, all those folks traveling and looking after different markets is, is make sure you, you, you do make those personal relationships, those friendships, because they're important. And, you know, I think one of the certainly the things that we often try and do in traveling is difficult when you've got a family you kind of want to get in and out, but always making sure that you, that you spend a little bit of time developing those relationships because they're, they're assets in the sense of, you know, they're, they're, they're a network that you can leverage for the next job and the next job, you know, and so it's something that I've really focused on. So, yeah, definitely encourage people to make sure they spend some time developing the relationships and making friends and because, again, that becomes something that you you absolutely rely on in the future. And even things like hiring, you know, hey, can you have a chat to this person? Give me your thoughts. You know, it's so important to build those, those relationships. 
It's superb advice, absolutely superb advice, because when you have those open and trusting relationships, actually, there's a plethora of confusion that can quite happily happen between that. But you know, the solidarity of the relationship means that actually it's fine, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to mean different things, and it's that deeper rooted understanding, which, I mean, leads me to think, actually, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, that emotional intelligence is one of the most very valuable assets that leaders of the modern world can possibly have. It's one of those things that in this modern, fast-paced world cannot be replicated. You simply cannot, at this point, she says, replicate really deep and meaningful personal relationships. You know, Alexa may try, but actually it is those deep and meaningful relationships. And look, it's impossible for you to be an expert in that country, right? It's going to be impossible if you know everything about that country. And so, you know, um, and you shouldn't ever go into it with that feeling as well, right? You should always be open to learning and listening. And so I think that that's super important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And our next podcast, you can tell me about more of the stories that you haven't been able to tell <laughs> yeah. on this one, because I can tell there's many, many stories in there from all of your travels. Well, I think that it's more, it's probably more the travel stories. Like, I think that, you know, tra- traveling, you know, spending a lot of time on the road, different hotels, different, I mean, taxis, that in itself, I think I could write a book on taxis of the world because, you know, before Uber, there was, you know, you had to use normal taxis and that that was an experience because, you know, I, I don't want to offend taxi drivers, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's you, you know, you do feel like you're getting ripped off in some instances and uh, and sometimes you can actually see them ripping you off. So, yeah, that's a book I will, I will write one day. That would be a super one. You know, I've never, ever seen a book on taxi drivers the world but that is that is so true so so true it is a really good gauge of how to behave within that country <laughs> what you may may be about to expect now before we end up wrapping up talk to me a little bit about the future then of the workplace so now that you've got two daughters you are also a really fantastic family man amongst obviously having the, the, the pressures of the day job talk to me a little bit about where you see the future of work and obviously you've seen this kind of this beautiful flexibility start to really you know start to flourish within forward-thinking modern organizations like like yahoo where do you think think, think the future is and talk to us a little bit about that that kind of that personal side because clearly your two are going to have a really great view upon the world with two parents that have very very different backgrounds personally and professionally you know it's always been a bit of a challenge certainly less for me more for my wife because she works in an industry where work from home was not normal and, you know, and had a bit of a culture of, you know, you couldn't leave too early. And so, you know, certainly I think there's always been a challenge for our household, particularly when I was traveling a lot, because, you know, you know, it was, it was very difficult for my wife to come home by a certain time when I was traveling. And so certainly, you know, we had to heavily rely on sort of nannies and things like that to, to, to enable us to have the careers that we did. I think certainly, I think the big positive, for, not just for me, but I think working parents in the same situation is that uh, I think post-COVID, there is a, there's a seismic shift in, 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 in certainly flexibility. Now, I, I do hope that continues. And, and, uh, and certainly, I think some companies are being much more specific now uh, and demanding in terms of what back in office looks like. I think we've taken the approach that you know that, that there is no minimum expectation of time you should sit at your desk and for some folks they, they're very productive 
uh, working from home. I think for our commercial teams, yes, they need to get out face-to-face with clients again, but do they need to sit in an office for, for three days a week to do that? And the answer is, is no. So I think what we're trying to do is get the balance of bringing people together in the office for for a reason is 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 seeing something is a really good way to approach it. And last week we we had a whole lot of social events during the week and people came in and it was fantastic. But you know, I think there's a real opportunity for us to make sure that that, that we can have the best of both worlds. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's the ability for for working parents to feel like, you know, okay, my partner's away right for a week, which means, you know, I, I have maybe a little bit more responsibility at home and not feeling guilty about being able to do that. And certainly that's a real benefit for my my household. But even, you know, if, even in my uh, team where travel is not a, an issue, you know, I've heard directly from, from fathers who are sort of saying to me, well, you know, I'm actually now picking my kids up from school a couple of days a week. I've never, never did that before. Now, in our industry, I think we were always pretty open to that. But for him to say that says to me that probably there was still a bit of public perception there that, you know, that, that you probably don't, didn't want to do that. So, you know, I think I, I definitely feel I've moved in the right direction. I definitely think some companies are probably still struggling with what that means. But, but certainly as a leader, I'm going to strive for a situation that a, a parent shouldn't ever have to choose between, you know, going to a kid's play, you know, because the kids grow up fast and, you know, I've, I've got friends who've got kids who have grown up and, you know, they miss those days. And I've got kids that are eight and six. And I, I fear that, you know, in, in, in five or six years time, I, that will escape me. So I, I would hate to think parents are missing out on things because they feel like they have to be doing something. And so, you know, I, I make it a, 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 and my leadership to give the credit, you know, have really made an extra effort to when they're doing something, let everybody know. Right, because that sets an expectation that actually leaving the office or leaving your desk, right, or leaving the office at two o'clock is perfectly fine because you want to go and see your kid in, in a play, right, or you want to pick up your child, you know, two or three days a week and set pressure off off the other off the other parent. So, look, I think that's what we're trying to to do, and you know, we we also hope that, and I think we 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 can feel it that the team are really appreciating that that approach and so look i think that's the opportunity that's the real positive opportunity very very rarely in this world can you have a win-win and i i actually think very strongly and passionately that in this situation we really can have a win-win solution i adore that you speak so openly and candidly about the cultural piece because it's just a great reminder that this is not it's not a one silver bullet situation. There's so many different facets in that. My husband and I are about to become parents the first time, which is terrible. Oh, exciting. congratulations. Um, well, thank, <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much. Thank you. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because it's really brought to, to, to home now these these real kind of logistical conversations that you're starting to have and also certain industries well like he works in the automotive industry obviously and you know lots of different industries as again many different nuances but you look then at the culture side you know and also the policies and the systems that are in place and the hearts and the minds and you know, it's all very well and good having policies and systems to say actually there is say equity for husband and wife or partner and partner which whatever that parent parenthood caring responsibility piece may look like but actually if 
all of the guys, as an example, in the office have never left before seven o'clock. We may as well shred up the the, the policy documents then, hasn't you? And so having leaders like yourself speak out openly about this and saying you don't have to choose. It's fine to say you want to collect the kids and go and do something. That is absolutely fine. It makes such a profound difference because it is that creation of that, that safe space then and that, you know, that permission, quote unquote, that says, hey, I'm at the helmets organization, but you know what? I'm doing it and it's fine. And I don't want you to have to sacrifice. You can truly have that win-win. And I think organizations and leaders that aren't thinking with that vein are really missing out on a huge trick, especially when we, you know, we talk now about and we see a lot of the, you know, the, the great resignation, quote unquote, which I, I think really can turn into this great retention when we look at people being at, at the helm of that, which is exactly what you've demonstrated, Josh. Well, look, I think for some, absolutely some industries, and, you know, it's not for me to name name names, but, you know, I worked in one of those industries in my at the start of my career, and I can still remember sitting at my desk knowing I couldn't leave. Now, that was luckily I was pre-kid, so I wasn't, you know, it, I wasn't missing out on something at home, but a lot of my colleagues were, and they were literally sitting there because they couldn't be the first to leave. You know, and that's that is is beyond bonkers. And look, I think one of the things that I sort of always vowed to myself when I became a leader that I would learn the lessons that that I experienced and 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 try and treat people how I remember what it was like. And and so that that really just makes no sense because you're creating a culture that's not at at the end of the day we want our we want our teams to be happy at work. Because when you're happy at work, you're you're vastly more productive. You know your attrition's low. You have you have happy teams, and and you know putting that sort of expectation doesn't create that sort of environment that that that, that we want. So it's it's it, it's really bonkers that people don't think the same way. But look, you know that's that's my view. <laughs> Makes me chuckle because I've had the exact same experience as well. And it was crazy. And you think, oh my goodness, the world come on so, so much. I mean, I'm talking, you know, a decade or so ago, but literally sitting there until the boss leaves in order to go. It's just, it's funny, isn't it? You think now, actually, I mean, that's actually, I mean, it's a relatively short period ago, actually, in the broader context of, of years. But it, uh, yeah, it, it is absolutely bonkers. But I'm sure anyone who's listening in is thinking, do you know what? Mm, yeah, I've been in that situation before. But yeah, we shan't name names at all. But it is absolutely brilliant that you are really driving forth this culture. And you can see when you speak to you the passion and sincerity that sits behind it. So um, great to hear. Now, uh, conscious of time so I'd love to nip into our little lightning round I'm going to give you 30 seconds Josh to answer each of the next questions that's a bit of fun um, I'm going to ask you the hardest the question first <laughs> fire so first and foremost what would you define as a success or, or have you a secret to success uh, in your journey thus far it's, it's a great question I, I would probably say hard work because I think, and uh, yeah, hard work. I, I, I'm a firm believer. If you if you if you do the hard work, good things will come to you. And a lot of the hard, a lot of times, hard work is not glamorous. It's not fun. But I, I think for me, it's what differentiates those people who probably do better than others. Is 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 the hard work. 
I love this question because I've asked it of so many CEOs and execs over the years and hard work always comes up. There's one expression, oh my goodness, I'm going to forget it now actually, but it's something like hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I've always remembered that and I thought, you know, it's absolutely true. Absolutely. It's the same as when you've had, I've had very talented people in my teams, but if they're not working hard, then the talent's wasted, right? And and, and actually they're, 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 they're not, they're not as good as they think they are. So hard work, yeah, absolutely. Number one. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And again, I'm sure there's people listening in. Hopefully many agree, but also I'm sure there's some that, that may may disagree with that. But I found none more frustrating. I was definitely one of the, the children in school where I'd have to really work for it. And occasionally you'd have someone who's super smart and they can just get their A's without really working. <laughs> you kind of think, take that into you know the context of, of the working world. It's not you know, I think you have to have that that tenacity and and that capability because to expect always that it will just happen is is not right. I mean, sure, there's some lucky people out there, but I yeah, I always envied them. I remember in my early years. Well, look, I think being in the right place at the right time and, and putting yourself in the right place at the time is definitely there. I think just to be really clear, hard work doesn't mean more work, right? It doesn't mean longer hours. I think some of that most hardworking. Folks in my team are working mums who have to be done by a certain time, you know. So it's it's not the amount of time you're working. It's when you're working, you're working smart. That's the important thing. Yeah, indeed, it's the, the work part, work smarter, not necessarily harder principle, but also having that that mindset of, of really wanting to to solve the solve the yeah. problem and solve the issue ultimately. And and next, I wonder, you know, diversity inclusion means many different things to many many different people. What what does it mean to you personally? Yeah, it's look, it's a it's a great question, Leila. I think the the way that I look at it is, I, I think when you build a business, and it was always something that. That I think again, maybe in my industry and, and, and what I've been doing is I, I've been put in a situation where because I was covering so many different markets, it, you had to have diversity. Like it, it, it just made sense. And I think in our industry where we have global audience, it, it, you need to make sure that you're, you're you can speak to your global audience. So having a diverse team is again a no-brainer. And so we, I, I've always come from the, that sort of perspective that. You know, if I'm going to launch, you know, like when I went to Shazam on day one and was going to launch a, a commercial offering and a team, I couldn't do that with a whole lot of people like me. Right? I had to get a diverse team. And so I, I think it's, you know, I think the way that I've always thought about it, it's, it's, it's fundamental to any strategy to have different opinions, different experiences, different voices, you know, and, and I, I think it's great to see that outlook starting to be, you know, the norm. And so I've always come from from that perspective. Now, could could we still do more? Could I still do more? Absolutely, right? And I think a, a big challenge in our industry is getting more diversity into the industry. And so I, I think that's a, that's a big challenge. But if I look at gender diversity in our UK operations 10 years ago to today, it, it's transformed. Now, I think we always had pretty good gender across all the organisations, but certainly in management, there was it was predominantly male. Uh, in ten years, that's completely changed. Not not because we sh- like well, of course we should do that, but it changed because because actually they were really good, you know they, they were very good at their jobs, and and by getting more people, more diversity in the in in our organisation, they developed 
And 10 years later, most of our leaders are, are, are women. So again, I, I think it starts with getting more diversity in the bottom of the organization and into the lower levels of the organization and, 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 and then sort of promoting within. But I think it's, it's got to fundamentally start in, as an outlook that actually to have a successful business and a successful team, it can't be a team with the same voice. It's got to be diverse. And I think if you have that outlook, then everything really follows flows in behind that. You can see that it is a pillar of everyday practice. And look, you know, none of us are perfect. No organisation, no person is perfect. But the succession planning and the talent that you speak to there is about nurturing that in order to feed it through. And, you know, look, you know, diversity, it is, and it means so many different things. You know, we've spoken already not only about gender, but parenthood, caring responsibilities, you know, all of the other aspects that go in there with that, you know, mental health, wellness, you know, culture, religion, belief systems, the list goes on. And so actually it's that diversity of thought that is absolutely key and it's a staple to, to modern business. I'm breaking my own rules here because I said 30 seconds, but I'm going to ask yeah. you more <laughs> There weren't short answers either, so apologies for that. <laughs> no, no, no I'm, I'm breaking my own rules and, and feeling the need to comment and uh, and, and agree with you on, on many of these points. But finally, I wonder if you could, if you could go back in time and let, let, let's go back to the time in Brisbane, you're, you're kind of, you know, back in Brisbane, you know, much younger years, thinking about what you're about to do next and, and embarking on this kind of, you know, this, this global world ahead of you. What advice might you give to your younger self or indeed someone who's in a really similar position and about to go on the career journey? Yeah, look, I, I think I think everyone's different. But for me, I always wanted to see the world. And, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, I, I think the, the world seems crazy right now. Right, but but I'm also a firm believer that that you, that you can't say no to things, and so you know when I sort of thought, realized I needed to do this, say yes, and try and say yes more than you say no, and that's even something that I've tried to think about later in life as well. I think when you get busy, you know, you've got all these different responsibilities, and you get these opportunities that come your way, and and you say no because you're too busy. You know, even in the last two or three years, I said no a couple of times. I realized. I really shut a door that I shouldn't have shut. So I think my advice to, to myself back all those years, apart from if I could go back in time and buy Bitcoin, that would be a good piece of advice to give myself. But but actually, just say yes, right? Because, you know, opportunity and being, you know, putting yourself in the right place at the right time comes more often from saying yes than saying no. So try and say yes more often. That's such a wonderful way to to finish the podcast. It's uh, it uh, demonstrates some real unwavering optimism and the fact that actually life is a creation of these opportunities. You know, from Brisbane to you know the Americas to Europe, there and back, so many different things and so many different experiences. And you know, certainly I've learned such a lot from this podcast, and I hope many who are listening in also have. But some of the things that really stood out to me were you know. The beauty of these cultural nuances, the capability for and the, the requirement, frankly, for leaders like yourself and businesses to really speak out and to create these safe 
places within their organizations where it is okay to enable difference. You know, one thing that I, I was thinking about as you were talking about talent and talent pipeline made me think of my days back in recruitment, where we'd often, you know, we we'd observe organ rejection, as we would call it, where actually it's, it's about bringing diversity in, quote unquote, and the person not fitting in. Actually, your approach to developing the cultures, making sure the safe spaces so that actually when you put that talent in, that it thrives, that it moves up the ladder. And clearly that has been the case with a number of the individuals within your organization. And then finally, to me, you know, I, I really love the piece around the, the the customers and the global technology arena and what's happened over, say, the last 10 years. And, you know, obviously Yahoo is one of the most recognized brands of, of all time in, in, in media and the span and the reach and the diversity of, of the individuals and the customers you have within the organization. You can see that just, you know, is critical in order to having this kind of this successfully thriving organization and certainly you know one that other businesses really should be adopting I think you said you said you will absolutely fail if you have an English only strategy and I thought you know what that is so so true we've got to look at all of these different cultural nuances to remain competitive and ultimately it's that competitive and business advantage as well as obviously doing the right thing so Josh thank you so so much it's been it's been a real joy having you on the podcast Thanks, Leila. It's a pleasure. And thanks for the invitation. It's great to speak with you. My name is Leila McKenzie Dallas, founder and CEO of Dial Global. You've been listening to Josh Partridge of Yahoo. And make sure you check out his profile. Make sure you check out the organization. I'm putting all the show notes in at the end of today's show into the annotations. If you need any other ways of consuming the podcast, if you would like to view the video version or you'd like to view the transcript, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us in Apple, in Spotify, your favorite podcast app, or on our Dial Global Network app, which is in the App Store. Um, but otherwise, take care. We'll see you again next week. You can visit us at www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast.